All right, well, it is good to see you again. Uh, it is really cool to be able just to kind of continue this conversation that Mike started with us last week. And so we kicked off this series. We've borrowed this series from another sister church, and we thought this was a really good conversation that we should have, especially at this time frame we find ourselves in and just kind of the state of life that we're in. Because what we know is a year ago, we were basically told, don't see anybody right? Don't talk to anybody. Don't go to anybody's house. Don't go outside. It's terrifying, right? Just stay in your house. And so we had this situation where we stopped being able to necessarily build the kinds of relationships we were used to. And let's be honest, before the events of last year, maybe that was already difficult for you or difficult for me. And so there were times where we we didn't even want, like we just, you're at home on on Saturday afternoon and someone invites you out. It's like, but I'm I mean, it's so nice just to sit on my couch and not go out and not do things, right? We find ourselves maybe being there, and then all of a sudden it was, that's what you're supposed to do. So then we stayed at home, and and the relationships that we had kind of were a little bit different, right? All of a sudden, Zoom and online church became regular parts of our life, maybe that weren't parts of our life before, and so we learned and did different things. But now we're in a situation where we're saying we, we need the relationships that we didn't have. And for some people, this last year, the things that we went through, especially from a relational perspective, were not good. We spent time at home. Maybe we were a little bit lonely. Maybe we felt disconnected. Maybe we felt a little bit of depression because of that. We were distant from others. And if you didn't have that connectability with other people, it was missing. And so as we hopefully move towards better things, right, we're coming out of this and saying, okay, now we... We almost have to kind of like relearn and re-engage with this idea of building meaningful relationships. And when Mike shared last week and kicked us off, he said that we were built for relationships. That's what God built us for. He didn't build us to be people that are only on our own all the time. It's good for us to connect with other people and have relationships. And then he also said when we do that, it, it sharpens us and it makes us actually better people because we interact with others. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to dig into that idea a little bit deeper and kind of have a conversation about exactly what those relationships look like. What does it mean for us to build meaningful relationships with other people that matter? And how do we do that? And then this is going to be the hard part, like teaser for the end. How do we make sure that we're not having the wrong kinds of relationships or the wrong influences in our lives? And then how what the Bible has to say about that. Okay, so we're going to start our conversation today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. By the way, we'll have the verses up on the screen here for you. You can open your own Bible or your own phone. Or if you want to go to our website, you can go to the follow along card. You'll find all our verses there, all our notes, and you can even ask a question if you'd like to. So, uh, yeah, check that out if you'd like. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 32. This is what it says. And what value was there? In fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead. And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Okay, so let's pause there. That's a very loaded verse to start our conversation with today. So let me explain what's going on here. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's talking about a past interaction he had with the people of Ephesus. And in fact, he said that was a little bit of a difficult interaction. He called them wild beasts, okay? Hopefully no one will refer to you as that in some letter that someone's writing to somebody else, right? 
So this is not a good conversation. He, he said this was difficult. And he's painting this picture of two different ideas. He says there's two different ideas here. There's, there's the idea that the resurrection really did happen. And that's what we talked about over Easter just a couple of weeks ago, right? If the resurrection actually happened, then guess what? It should have an impact on our life. But he says if the resurrection did not happen, then we don't have to worry about anything. We can live life frivolously. We can live life however we want. And the phrase is this, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. So if the resurrection didn't happen, and Paul says this in another, in another location as well, he says, if it didn't happen, then, then it's not binding to us. Then if we're really going to think about what life means, if we're really going to think about how much time we have, right? We have, let's be, let's say we have a hundred years on the planet. Then do what you want. It doesn't matter if the resurrection didn't happen. Have a great time. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, there's nothing coming after. We're totally fine. I had, uh, or I watched a video, sorry, just recently, um, with a pastor that I know of or a speaker that I know of, and he was interviewing a pastor from another church. And he said, you've made some statements recently about a certain topic, and I, I was just wondering if you would affirm the idea of whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead, or if you would say that's more of a symbolic thing that was just written about in Scripture. And the pastor said this. He said, well, if you go back and listen to like my last seven Easter sermons, he said, some of them I would probably come off saying, yes, I believe the resurrection of Jesus was a real historical fact. And he said, other times I might come off as just kind of feeling like maybe it was more symbolic and maybe he really didn't rise from the dead. He said, it kind of goes like this, what I believe on that. Don't ever follow a pastor who says that. <laughs> but here's the point. Paul's saying you can't, you can't have both. Either the resurrection happened and it matters, and it has an impact on your life, or it didn't happen, and you can go on and live life this way. And so he says, think about what they're saying. They're saying, let's eat, let's drink, and tomorrow we die. Let's just live life however we want. And then he goes on to say this in verse 33. He says, don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. He says, don't be fooled by people that say that. Because first of all, Paul believes 100% that the resurrection did happen. But he says, listen, bad company corrupts good character. Now, character is something you build up over time, right? Character is something you have to invest in. You have to show that you are a reliable person. You have to show that you're a trustworthy person, right? You, if you go to someone and you need a car for the day because your car's in the shop and you say, hey, can I borrow the car that's sitting in your driveway? They're probably going to think through what do I know about how this person drives, right? You, it's something that's built up over time. They're probably just not going to hand you the keys without even thinking about it. And so it's something you've built up. But what Paul is saying is bad company can change that. Bad company can ruin the character that you've built up already. And so it kind of causes me to ask this question, which is more important, good friends or good character? I've said before that I, I had, I've had a lot of jobs over the years that I've done. And, and so that meant that I've walked into a lot of different interviews. I actually really enjoy interviewing. Does anyone else really enjoy interviewing? No, I'm the only weird one. Okay, I got two more. Great. So I would always walk in and I, I enjoy it because I think it's fun. I'm a very competitive person. 
So if I know somebody else is trying to get the job, it becomes almost like, oh, I'm going to get it and you're not, right? So it's a, And I walk in with my resume and I want to talk about it and I'm excited. And one of the things that I'm trying to show when you're handing over a resume, right, is you're, you're showing that you are the type of person that this employer would want to hire. And so you're showing past things. You're showing uh, when you got promotions, where you worked, how much responsibility you had, right? You're building up that character in their mind so that they see you as someone who's worth hiring. You know what I've never, what question I've never heard in an interview? Who's your best friend? No one's ever asked me that. They've never asked me, when you hang out with your family, what kind of activities do you do? And I'll never forget, there was, uh, I told you before I worked at Best Buy. When I worked at Best Buy, I had to go through about three interviews within an hour. Okay, so you come in, you sit down with one person. If you don't scare them away, you get to the next person. If they don't dislike you, you get to the next person. And the third person was the general manager of the store. And what I've been doing for about 10 years now is anytime I would need to send a resume anywhere, I actually list my social media on the resume. And 10 years ago, that was something that nobody did. Now you kind of have to because people are going to find you anyway, even if you don't list it. But I started doing it back then. And I'll never forget, the general manager looked across at me and he said, I saw you put your Facebook on here. Why did you do that? I said, if you want to see the type of person I am, go ahead. I said, I don't care. And he said, no one wants us to find their Facebook that works here. <laughs> and after working there for a while, I could see why. Okay, So after I became friends with them, it was kind of obvious. Like I get why you didn't want him to know. So it was just an interesting thing. But we don't think so much at times about the relationships we have. We think about the choices we make. And choices are so important on how we come across and the type of responsibility we take and what we do. But we don't always spend as much time thinking about the people that we surround ourselves with and where that's going to get us. So if you ever need to hire somebody and you're doing an interview with them, I would encourage you, ask them what their friends are like. Right? Check out, ask that question. See what their family functions are like. What, what activities do they do? Because what Paul is telling us is, if they build up good character, but they surround themselves with the wrong kind of people, that could change their character very quickly. In fact, I think he might even say it this bluntly, the people around you can ruin you. We've heard the stories. You, you hear of a story of a crime that took place and somebody's guilty by association. Or maybe you've been in that situation. Maybe it wasn't a crime, but somebody around you did something wrong and all of a sudden you were looked at as responsible as well. Right? Where you find yourself, the time that you spend with certain people is going to influence the choices you make, or at least it's going to influence the way other people see you and it could change the character that you've built up over time. So there's three things I want to talk about today that in, in different ways that I think the people around us will influence us and just kind of think about it and, and process it through. I think, first of all, their values will become your or will become my values. What they value, what they spend their time doing, what they find important could become important to you. Or let's think about value in a different sense. What you spend money on could be influenced by those around you. Think about this. When's the last time that you spent money you didn't plan on spending because your friend recommended you did? No, you don't have to answer out loud, but I know times I did that. This week I was mowing my lawn, which I'm really glad lawn mowing is back. It's good that it's nice outside again. 
But I, when I mow my lawn, I like to listen to different things. And so one of my favorite authors and speakers came out with a new book. So I was listening to his book as I was mowing the lawn this week. And he was talking about how before COVID happened, he would go to, he would speak about 50 times a year in just different locations. So when you're up and needing to be in front of people that much, he said that you go to the barber shop a little more often so you don't look like a slob. And so he said he would go about every three weeks to get his haircut. And when he would go, because he would go so often, he would pay for six haircuts at a time. Okay? So and that would give him a little bit of a discount. Well, one time he decided uh, he, was, he was done his sixth haircut. So the lady at the desk says, hey, you have to buy six more. Do you want to buy more than six? And he said, well, how much does it save me if I buy more than six? And what's the most I can buy at one time? She said, if you buy 48 haircuts, it will take you from $36 to $24. Okay? And he goes, no, I think I'll stick with six. It's okay. Let's just do that. She goes, okay. And then she goes, well, you know, your friend Chris just bought 48. So he says, at the end of the day, my wife was not as thrilled as I was that I bought 48 haircuts for over $1,000, right? The conversation changed when a friend that he knew did something. We've all been in that situation. Well, my friend did it, so maybe it's not so bad. Or my friend thinks it's this valuable. Or my friend thinks I need it, and they need it, and they use it. And so if that's the case, this is what I'm going to do. It might even come into just different situations that, like, you might ask advice. Well, if my friend did this, this is what I'm going to do. The people that we allow into our inner circle and to have influence on us is going to change our actions. It's going to influence the values we have and the way we think about the things that we do. And at a very core level, it might even get to the things that we find valuable in life. The second thing is this. I think that their words will become your or our words. I want to do a little exercise here. I have three pictures that I'm going to put up on the screen. And I want to see if there are people that differ from me in the way that I say these things. Okay? And so when I put the picture up, don't say it out loud. We'll just see who falls into what category, okay? So here's the first picture. Okay, now I'm not talking about the brand name. I'm not talking about Coke. What I call this is soda. Does anyone call it anything different? Anyone call it pop? That's what you call it? Tim, what do they call it in Australia? Soft drink, okay? So we've heard that before. But this is a different one, right? I think in more like Midwest, like I know people from Michigan, they will call it pop. I remember hearing that for the first time. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like that was when I was a teenager. I always knew this is soda, but depending on where you're from, that's what you're going to call it. So you call it soda or you might call it pop. Here's the second picture. I call this a lollipop. Does anyone call it a sucker? A sucker is what I call somebody who spends $1,000 on 48 haircuts, right? I've never called it a sucker. It was just always a lollipop to me, okay? So again, depending on where you're from or what you say, how your parents said it. Tim, do they call it a lollipop or a sucker? Lollipop. There we go. The Australians got it right. Okay. Here's the one that matters to me most. Okay, here's the third one. This I call a hoagie. Someone said sub. Did you say sub? All right, you're from far away. That's fine. But you're, anyone else call it a sub? Oh, wow. Too many people. All right, we'll work on that. Um, anyone call it, is there a difference between a hoagie and a grinder? 
No. Someone said yes. Someone shook their head no. So I don't know. So there's all kinds of things, right, that we can say and do. Another one that I didn't put up on the screen um, was when you come to an intersection that's a circle instead of a stoplight or, or a stop sign, right? I've heard it called roundabout and jug handle. Yeah, see, now everybody's like weirded out by me. Okay, so there's a different, there's different ways you can say it. Here's my point, right? Where you're from, who you're around, influences the words you say. Now let's go to a deeper level than just soda or pop. What your friends say about you will influence you. So if you surround yourself with people who are going to build you up, encourage you, send you in the right direction, that's going to be a positive thing. If you surround yourself with people who tear you down or are just negative in general, it's going to influence the way you feel as well. So we can understand this on a surfacey level of what we call certain things, but we have to understand that words have power. And what we say is influenced, or how we feel about ourselves, are influenced by the way that other people talk about us and the way that we hear them speak and the way that we, that would then influence our attitude as well. Here's the third thing, and this is kind of more of a summary. Their actions will become your actions. We've talked about this a little bit already with the values and then with the words. That's obviously actions too, but as a whole, the way that the people around you act and respond and do things is going to influence the way that you do it too. And again, let's go back to what Paul said. Bad company corrupts good character. Your character sometimes is based on the actions you're willing or not willing to take. And so when we let those influences in, we have to be careful who gets to be a part of our inner circle, who gets to have that impact on us, because it is going to impact the way that we live. There's another verse I want to go to. Uh, it's in Proverbs 13, just verse 20. That's all we're, that's all we're going to read from this one. And this is what it says. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I was not good at high school math, algebra especially, but this equation I can understand, right? You walk with wise people, you become wise. You walk with foolish people, it's going to bring you to an, a negative place. Also very interesting to me as I studied uh, for this, this week is that the word fool is used in both of these passages that we're talking about. Fool is not a word that I use a lot. It's not a word that comes up maybe monthly, maybe even less than that. Maybe you guys use it more, but it's not a typical word. And yet Paul says, don't be fooled by people that say these things. And then in Proverbs, it says, if you walk with fools, you will suffer harm. So what's the Bible saying overall about what we should think when, we do, when we're thinking about our friends and the influence on us? Don't be a fool. Don't be foolish. And here's how I understand fools. Fools make mistakes that clearly could have been avoided. Okay? So if you were on vacation somewhere, you rented a car, you're trying to find a restaurant, and you're going about your way trying to figure it out, and you make a wrong turn, right? That's a mistake. You're not a fool for that. You haven't been in that situation. You don't know that area. Even if the GPS said go this way and you just missed it, you made a mistake. Now, if you're at home and you start working on an electrical outlet and you don't turn the breaker off first and you get shocked, now you might fall into the fool category, right? Because there was a clear 
explanation as to why you got shocked, right? There was a precaution you could take. There was something you could do to stop yourself from making that mistake. And I think what scripture is trying to tell us is this isn't rocket science. If you want to be sure of the influence that are influences that are around you, choose the people that are on your inner, in your inner circle carefully. Make sure that they are the type of, type of people that you want to be around. Another way of saying this is that your few is a vision of your future. Let me just be really clear in case we're not understanding where I'm at this morning. This is not simply talking about the people that you hang out with sometimes, right? It's not necessarily just the people that you see at work or the people that are on your team or, or some of the kids in your class or what your neighbor down the street. Like This isn't like just saying the people you can't be friends with people who are different than you. That's not what we're saying. Be friends with a lot of people. What we're talking about is the few people, the, the five, six probably at most, the inner circle that are in your life, that when you do something wrong, they're allowed to pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, what were you thinking when you did that? Right? The people that have refrigerator rights in your house, that they can just go open the refrigerator, you don't ask questions. That's what we're doing. If your neighbor from down the street just walked in your house and opened your refrigerator, I mean, I would be like, what are you doing? Right? That's not, they're not my few. They're not the people that are in my inner circle. They're not the people that have the most influence on me. This is who we're talking about. And so when you think about those people, those few people, when we look at the types of people they are, that will show us where we'll be. Another way to say this is show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I've heard that phrase too. And listen, adults, for a second, this is easy to say to teenagers. And maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you've been the parent or you've, you remember when you were a kid and your parents said or you said to your kid, I don't like the influence that person is having on you, so I don't want you hanging out with them as much. Or there's going to be some walls or some barriers or some supervision in that. Easy for us to say this to teenagers or kids because we look at their future and we say, well, I don't want you to grow up to be an adult like blah, 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 right? This matters as adults too. Like if you've got any time left on the planet, which we all do, we need to have this conversation and say, who's got the most influence on me? Are they pushing me in the right direction? It's easy to push this off and go, oh, that's for, it's for kids, it's for t whatever. Like, but are we surrounding ourselves with the people that we want to be like? And I would encourage you, if you have a change you want to make or you see a deficiency in your life or something that you want to make different, there's an easy way to fix that. Find people you want to be like and hang out with them. Let's take this completely outside of faith for a minute. So let's just think about this in terms of just life in general. If you want to be financially responsible, it's probably better to surround yourself with people that are financially responsible. They're going to encourage you to continue to have those good habits. Because if you have friends that are around you and they're just spending and spending and spending when your idea that you want with your finances is to save and be responsible, that's probably going to influence you. And you're going to see something that they're spending on and it's going to influence how your spending habits take place. Let's think about it differently. If you wanted to lose weight or you wanted to build strength, you might join a gym and you might become part of, you might start hanging out with people 
that are doing the same thing. Why? Because their good habits are going to rub off on you. That's why the people that join these programs that are so successful, there's like a community element to it. It's where they go to hang out. When they don't know where to go, they're like, hey, I'll go here. Why? Because then the people there and what they're doing is going to influence their positive behavior. This isn't something that's just included with faith. It's included in life. And so when we want to change something, we want things to be a little bit different. We find people that we want to be like and we hang out with them. All right, let's bring it back to the faith aspect though, right? Because there's one argument that if I was listening to me, I would be going through in my head. And it's the question, classic question, right? What would Jesus do? The question that would be coming up in my mind is, yeah, but Jesus was a friend to sinners. Jesus went and hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with just people who were known as sinners. So how can we have the conversation and say we're not going to build our core relationships necessarily with people like that when Jesus seemed to do that himself. And we have biblical accounts of this. In fact, in Luke 15, verses 1 through 2, this is what it says. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus preach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of, the, of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus was known at this time to go and hang out with people. And when they came to him, he would engage them. He would go to their house and have a meal with them. But here's the difference. And when I've had this conversation with teenagers over the years, I've said the same thing. They were not Jesus's few. The disciples were Jesus's few. And so anytime he went into a circumstance where he was around people who believed different things in him or could be a bad influence on him, you know who was always there? His few. He had the disciples with him. He had them around. Or if they weren't around, like when he's speaking with the woman at the well, if they're not right there, guess what? They're coming back. Jesus is still spending most of his time, most of his influential time with his few. So when we see him go to other people and, and share who he is and engage with them and love on them and encourage them, he always does that. He's always willing to do that. He wants to be that friend to them, but he's always got his few. That he always goes back to and he spends his time with. The best way for us to understand this is that your squad and your mission field are two different things. Your squad and your mission field are two different things. I chose, well, we borrowed this, right? But the word squad, just to understand it, to understand the definition is simply this. A small group of people having a particular task. There's a reason that this series isn't just called friends. You can be friends with a lot of people. Jesus was a friend with, with a lot of people. He knew a lot of people. But the people that are a part of our inner circle, the people that are closest to us and have the greatest influence should also be having the same task as us. So this is where it gets difficult. Because we have to evaluate who we've given influence to in our lives. And I would make the argument. Now, there's always exceptions to this. 
So this isn't just always cut and dry. But I would make the argument that if, if you are a follower of Jesus, those who are in your squad, your few, should also be followers of Jesus. Now, again, there's exceptions to that. There might be a situation you know of or you have a friend that's really close and it's just, it's that way. And I'm not going to tell you you're wrong for that, but this would be the encouragement is that those few people that are in your squad are of the same mind as you. In fact, they would also have the same values, the same words, and the same actions as you because that way your values and actions of what you're sure of and what you want in life, the goals you have, are not going to be changed. And so we hear those outside voices. We engage with many people who believe different things than us. And we have those conversations with them. We're open to them. But our squad is different. And so what does that do for us? I believe if we have a squad, it gives us protection, it gives us perspective, and it gives us partnership. Why are those things so important? It gives us protection because when we think we want to make a wrong decision, the people in your squad are there to say, hang on, man, slow down. Don't make that decision. Don't do this without thinking it through. Are you sure that's what you want? Right? Because they're the ones that have refrigerator rights. They're allowed to kind of peer into your life and say, Is this, are you really positive about this? And so they protect you when you think you want to make a choice that might be wrong. They give us perspective because they see life differently than we do and they are outside of our own view. I heard another story this week about people that run marathons. I have never and probably will never run a marathon. But there's a point I've heard where people just kind of hit a wall. So you get 21, 22 miles in, and even if you've been training for this thing, you hit a wall where you're just like, I, I can't go any further. And in some times, in some races, what can happen is there's somebody else from the sideline who can jump in and start to run alongside you. And what happens when that person jumps in and runs alongside you it gives you, if you've been running for the last 22 miles, it gives you more stamina because you have somebody else to run with. And it gives you this second burst of energy and you can continue through the end. Well, why does that person able to do that? Because they weren't running so far yet. And so when they step in, you start to see the race differently because now you're running with a friend. And if they can do it, you can do it. And they're going to go with you. The same thing is true in life. When you get to a point where you feel like you just can't deal with it anymore, a friend comes alongside and says, I'll go through it with you. And all of a sudden the perspective changes because somebody else who loves you is with you and going along too. And so now that situation gets a little bit easier or at least less difficult because you have someone with you. They give you perspective. And their perspective hasn't been the struggle the whole time, their perspective is, I love you, I want to see you do well, I'm going to continue along with you. And then, as a part of that, they give you partnership. You walk through life together. All the difficult stuff, you're not going through it by yourself. You're going through it with a close friend who also wants what's best for you. Listen, that's what we were called to do. That's, that's biblical relationship is to be so close with one another, with a few people that you love and care for and encourage one another so that we continue to look more like Jesus. That's what biblical relationship is. 
So what do we do now that we understand this, now that we see it? How do we make sure that this is a part of our lives? Mike encouraged us last week that we should be in relationship with people, and I just want to echo that. If you don't have people that are a part of your squad, you have to do the work to get people in your squad. Too many times the temptation is for us to kind of sit back and go, well, no one wants to be with me. No one wants to engage with me that way, or I feel left out because no one's coming to me. Sometimes people just don't see it, and sometimes we have to engage with other people to build that kind of relationship. And so it takes us stepping out of maybe our comfort zone and saying to somebody else, can I grab coffee with you? Can we have this conversation? I, I see a positive in your life, and I want that to be in mine too. Think about if somebody came to you and said that. If they said, I see something in you that I want to be included in my life, would you have coffee with me? I bet you're not going to say no to that. I bet you'd probably say yes. And so we have to go to other people and say, would you help me in this area? Would you be a part of my squad? Would you influence me in a positive way? The flip side, which is even which is hard though, is we have to evaluate if there's someone in our life, in our inner circle that we've given too much influence to. Are they causing us to make poor decisions? And so then it becomes a difficult conversation or a difficult decision to kind of say, you know what? I need a little bit of distance there. I need to not let that person have so much leeway in my life. And it sounds it sounds bad because it sounds like we're judging people and kicking them out of our lives. It's not what we're doing. What we're doing is making sure that we are taking care of ourselves and saying, I need people around me who are going to push me in the right direction. Because scripture says, right, don't be fooled. Walk with the wise, and you will become wise. Walk with people who you want to become like. Walk with people that are a little bit ahead of you, or at least are have a, develop something you don't have, and allow that relationship to build into that. And ultimately, our goal in this is that we would have biblical relationship with people so that we continue as individuals to grow as followers of Jesus, and that we encourage others to do the same. So take some time this week. Think about who has the most influence. And if you see areas where you need to be better, where you need a positive influence, find people that have that already. Engage with them. Buy them coffee. Have a conversation. Figure out how to move in that positive direction and evaluate who your squad is and how that's going to impact you in the future. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you've made us to be in relationship with one another. We're thankful that we get to develop friendships and just enjoy one another and the company that we have and the relationships we've built. And we pray specifically for those few that are in our lives. I pray, first of all, that if there are those of us who don't have those few, that we would engage with people so that they might become our few. I also pray for those of us that might be evaluating who's, who has an influence in our life and who might need to make a change. We ask that there would be strength to do that. 
and that we would have the words to say or know the right decision to make to kind of make sure that we're not allowing someone to push us or pull us in the wrong direction. We pray that we would be a place where biblical community is built and we encourage and love one another and cause one another to grow in our relationship with you. And that that would be the goal in our life. Always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.